I mentioned that Alistair is going to be bringing us the next of our uh, series in the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to do a couple of readings now that are connected uh, with that. First of all, uh, if you want to follow in your Bible, you'll find the first reading in Galatians chapter 5, and that's chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. And in the Pew Bible, that's page 1172, 1172. And then we're going to do a second reading, which is in John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, and that's in page 1073. So 1172, and then 1073. So first of all, the reading from Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And then if you want to turn over to John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11 on page uh, 1073. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Good morning, everyone. As we continue this morning in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, as Philip has already said, we're going to look at gentleness. How have you done with gentleness this week? Um, How did you respond to conflicts and quarrels, um, to rejection, to harsh words, to unfairness? How did you respond when someone 
drove into the yellow box and you couldn't get out of a side street? Or how did you respond when someone drove slowly in the overtaking lane on the motorway? Or how would have you have responded if someone in your house did what I did a couple of weeks ago when I put some of Lena's new white clothes, some of her really fine clothes that had been bought by people, into the wash with my favorite blue shorts? Did you respond with bluster and with self-defense, with harsh words, with aggressive words? Did you respond with those angry gestures as you sit in the car and you raise your hands up at the driver who seems to have done something that's so stupid to you? With facial expressions that didn't convey a great deal of love or gentleness? Or did you respond with softness, controlling your tongue and controlling your temper? As I stand here this morning, I can think of a whole plethora of instances over the past few weeks when my response has been less than gentle. Yesterday, when a patient came into surgery and said, I've just got a small list of complaints, I felt something build up within me that was less than gentle. Or indeed, when someone came to my door at tea time trying to convert me to a new electricity provider. So I stand here this morning not as someone who has got this all sorted out. Do we actually think of gentleness as a virtue at all? Is it a positive thing? Or do you think of a gentle person as being really a bit weak, a bit watery, a bit of a wimp? Often it's not a virtue in popular culture. Hollywood movies present us with characters like Tom Cruise, James Bond, Captain America, Lara Croft, Wonder Woman, they all conquering, usually violent, good guy or girl, and the mythical superheroes. Something similar is found in the circles that we move in. Gentleness. Who needs it? That's the way to get trampled on. If you want to move on in this life, you've got to assert yourself. Of course, you may have a different picture of gentleness as you sit here this morning, a positive one, the picture of a mother caring for her child or a nurse caring for one of your loved ones. For me, I picture an image at Port Stewart Sism years ago between two brothers on our team. The younger brother was about to do the main talk of the day. It was his first time of doing it. He was really nervous. And the older brother, just before he went to do his talk, walked over to where the younger was sitting. He put his hand on his shoulder and he smiled at him as if to say, it's all going to be okay. Most people in the room never saw it, but it was a beautiful moment of gentleness and of compassion. This morning, I want to define gentleness. Um, I want to consider it as we look at God in the Old Testament and as we think about how it was modeled in Jesus's life. And then I want us to consider how this fruit might be developed and growing in our own lives. Why might we have the negative response that I described a few moments ago when we think about gentleness? Well, perhaps it's because we struggle to understand what it really is. We think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. But gentleness is actually something quite different. 
It's the ability to endure criticism or hostility without aggression. It's the Christ-like way to respond to quarrels and to rejection and to unfairness. It's possessing tact and gracious courtesy that allows another person to maintain their self-esteem and their dignity and may even allow them to be restored. It doesn't necessarily mean saying nothing, although sometimes it might, but a gentle response can be clear, it can be strong, and it can be firm, but without rage. Gentleness is illustrated by the way you would handle something really precious, a baby, a set of crystal glasses. It's a recognition that the human personality is valuable but fragile and needs to be handled with care. So what's gentleness then as we look at it biblically? Well, it's very close to humility. And the word used here in Galatians 5 for gentleness can also mean humility. And sometimes the two were used together as in Ephesians 4, when Paul challenges his readers to live lives worthy of their calling, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with each other in love. So having defined the word, let's consider for a moment the context in the pitch into which Paul was writing here in Galatians 5, which we heard just a few moments ago. The world of Greece and Rome that Paul was writing his letter to the Christians in Galatia had a similar view to our worldview when it came to gentleness. Gentleness wasn't a virtue. It was generally considered a vice. Real men were dominant, strong, and powerful. Real men were winners, and they made sure that everybody knew about it. Subtly and dangerously, culture and its heroes challenge and change our thinking and our attitudes. But the Bible presents a a very different picture, one that was radically countercultural in Paul's day and that still is today. Paul presents this fruit that would have been surprising to his contemporaries, gentleness and humility, modeled by the very character of Christ himself. And so through the power of the gospel and through the attractive witness of Christians through generations, something that in Paul's day was shameful, that was weak, that was despised, came to be regarded as one of the primary and most Christ-like virtues of all, gentleness and humility. Sometimes we think of it as as a virtue of the chosen few. They're a really gentle girl or he's a really gentle guy. But actually there's a call here upon all of us to model this fruit of the Spirit. So this morning we're going to take a whistle-stop tour through a few passages which show us the gentleness of God, and through that hopefully we'll be able to see how this fruit might be developed in our lives and how we might look different as we seek to follow him. So let's turn to the Old Testament first of all. Gentleness is maybe not the first word that would come to mind to describe God in the Old Testament. God is spoken of in terms of his power, his majesty, his splendor, his holiness. But the psalmists and others speak of God in gentle terms too. Psalm 23, which we just sang a few minutes ago, is a great picture of God's gentleness. David compares God to a gentle shepherd caring for the needs of his sheep. 
taking them to calm water for drinking, to fresh pasture for feeding them, and protecting them when they're in danger. Isaiah 40 develops the same picture after describing God's mighty power. Let's look at the images of God's power first. They should be up here on the, on the screen. Isaiah 40. These are a few verses demonstrating God's power, and then I'll show you something else. Isaiah 40.10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power. Then in Isaiah 40 and 15, a few verses later, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were dust. The God we worship this morning weighs the islands as though they were dust. Such is his power and his strength. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 then say, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Tucked in the middle of Isaiah 40, is this descript, these descriptions of God's power are these words, Isaiah 40, verse 11. Again, they should be up on the screen. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The same chapter that stresses the infiniteness of God's power also beautifully portrays his gentleness. A shepherd carrying his lambs close to his heart, framed with these illustrations of God's sovereign power. Think then of another Old Testament character, Elijah, in 1 Kings 19. I love the the gentle way that God dealt with him when he was at a really low ebb, when he was depressed and he wanted his life to be over. When God found him in the desert, hiding under a tree, he was gentle with him, giving him sleep and giving him food. God's gentleness in that story is astounding. Maybe this morning as you sit here, you can identify with Elijah. Maybe you're feeling at a a fairly low ebb because of the circumstances or situations in your life. But consider what happened a little bit later in 1 Kings 19. God took him back to Mount Sinai and he gave him a great audio-visual show of wind, of earthquake, of fire. But significantly we're told that God was not in the wind, nor in the earthquake, nor in the fire, but that God spoke to him through a gentle whisper. God was gentle with the failing prophet Elijah. He saw a person who needed restoration, and with gentleness, he restored him and he sent him back out on his mission. This morning, whatever our circumstance or situation, God is gentle with us too, wanting to bring us restoration. What then, as we move into the New Testament and this whistle-stop tour of a few passages that show the gentleness of God? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, thou was once a little child was a children's hymn that maybe some of you, like me, grew up with. Um, And I probably had a picture of Jesus in my head with uh, long hair and a really kind face when I used to sing that song. And Jesus was gentle, but he wasn't a wimp. 
who never raised his voice or stood up to people. Jesus could speak truth and he could confront people with real strength, but his strength was best seen in his gentleness, in a strength that he had brought under control. Jesus didn't get aggressive or belligerent when his enemies tried to trick him, and even when they falsely accused him. He didn't bully or belittle people that the rest of society did bully and reject. There are so many illustrations of Jesus' gentleness. Let's take a look at some situations that Jesus found himself in, situations that would test our patience and try our gentleness. In John 8, which Philip read to us just a moment ago, John encountered the woman who was caught in adultery. Those who caught her were poised to stone her to death. They could hardly wait. Did Jesus join them? Did he pick up a stone and join the crowd? No. Using his finger, he wrote in the sand. And when he was finished, all of her accusers were gone. And then Jesus looked at her and said, there's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Clearly she was guilty and Jesus knew that. But he saw beyond that woman's reputation. He saw a person who needed to be restored. And with gentleness, that's what he did. Thinking about that example from the life of Jesus, let me ask you, how do you respond when someone is struggling or tempted in an area that you aren't? Like that woman, maybe, who was caught in adultery. Moving on in Luke 19, we read the story of another encounter that Jesus had. Jesus and Zacchaeus, they hated tax collector, rich because he took money from other people and despised by absolutely everyone. Does Jesus, upon seeing Zacchaeus, point at him and accuse him of being the thief that he really is? No, Jesus looks up into the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree because I'm coming to your house for dinner today. Jesus saw beyond Zacchaeus's reputation. He saw someone who needed to be restored, and with gentleness, he restored us, him. What about us? How would Zacchaeus feel in your company? If you were to call round to his house tonight, would you even call round with a Zacchaeus type of character? Would I even call round with a Zacchaeus type of character? Do the people around us feel at ease? Or do they feel tense and fearful and anxious because they feel that we are judging their every action and because they feel they can never live up to the standards that we have? Or do they see a gentle person, someone with whom they feel at absolute ease? Now picture this scene from Luke chapter 10. Martha, a friend of Jesus, had invited him and his disciples over for dinner. Lots of preparation needed to go into the meal. And maybe this afternoon, lots of preparation will be going into a meal in your house for people coming around. So picture this, Jesus with Mary sitting at his feet, the 12 disciples sitting with him. It's a, it's a beautiful scene. Meanwhile, Martha is making all the preparations. And I'm guessing if it had been our house, there may be some banging of pans, maybe some slamming of cabinet doors, some deep sighs, and maybe something similar like that happens in your house or your work and you perceive rightly or wrongly that someone is not pulling their weight. And like Martha, you get all worked up, and maybe like her, you say, tell my sister 
to help me, which is what Martha said to Jesus. Jesus could have rebuked her, yet instead he says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Two times he calls her by name, Martha, Martha. And you can almost imagine Jesus saying that in a term of endearment. You're worried and upset about many things. He saw beyond her anger. He saw beyond her frustration. He saw maybe beyond her jealousy. He saw a woman who needed to be restored. And with gentleness, he restored her. What about you? What about me? Do you always insist upon getting your own way? Working to your agenda like Martha, I'm a person who usually has a plan and a purpose for a day, so I often work to my agenda. But are you at times willing to yield to someone else's preferences or opinions? And how gentle are we in expressing that? Folks, look at what Jesus gives to his followers here. Beautiful pictures of him being gentle with other people and bringing restoration to them. In those examples of the woman caught in adultery and Zacchaeus, Jesus saw people beyond their reputation, and with gentleness, he restored them. Let me tell you about the scene from a film which shows something similar. Ironwood um, was a 1987 American film uh, based on a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name, and it stars Jack Nicholson, Nicholson, and Meryl Streep. And the story concerns um, the relationship between a homeless couple, uh, Francis, who was an alcoholic, and Helen, who was a terminally ill woman uh, during the Great Depression. And in one of the scenes, the characters played by Nicholson and Streep come across someone who's lying in the road in a fairly bad state. And their conversation goes like this. Nicholson says, is she a waster or is she just plain drunk? And the reply comes back, she's been a waster all of her life. Nicholson says, no, nobody's been a waster all of their life. She had to be something else before she was a waster. Let's help her. They saw beyond her reputation. They saw a person who needed to be restored. And with gentleness, they helped her. That was from a film How much more then as God's children do we need to see the people around us made in the image of God, no matter how distorted that image may have become? How can we see beyond their reputation and with gentleness restore them? So this week, as we meet broken and hurting people, as we meet people who outwardly have it all together, how are we going to treat them? With this Old Testament teaching and the example of Jesus, we see how Paul turned gentleness and humility from being despised qualities in his day and in his culture into evidence of the Spirit's work in the life of a Christian. Where then will this gentleness come from? Well, yes, it's a fruit of the Spirit that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, and if we're following Jesus, his Spirit lives in us. In day-to-day terms, the deepest root of this kind of gentleness that we've seen is genuine humility. Let me say that again. The deepest root of this type of gentleness is genuine humility. 
I said at the start that gentleness is very close to humility, and the word that was used um, in Galatians 5 for gentleness could also mean humility. And for humility, we need to look to the example of Jesus, who did not insist upon his rights, which he was owed as God, but instead became a servant as he hung on the cross, taking the punishment for our rebellion. And as the insults were hurled at him, he didn't retaliate with angry words or gestures, but rather with gentleness. And when he suffered, he made no threats. He was gentle and he entrusted himself to his Father. So following Christ's example for us, the deepest root of gentleness is genuine humility. And humility, folks, comes a great deal more easily when we know ourselves and when we know our own heart and when we know the weak and fallen person who lives inside the exterior shell that everyone else sees. Out of that deep well of self-knowledge and thankfulness for God's grace, which has rescued us from our falseness and rebellion, will come a humility before God and a gentleness which will flow into the lives of other people. We will never be gentle if we're not humble. This week, the fruit of our gentleness will be seen in our attitude, in our behavior, in our conversations, especially when things are not going the way that we want them to. It should apply to the people that we like. It should apply to the people who we struggle with. It should apply to those who the world would bully and reject, like the woman who was caught in adultery, like Zacchaeus. It will involve people who we know intimately, and it will involve our casual acquaintances, the woman behind the till in Tesco, the person who serves us coffee. This week, your spouse may disappoint you. Your boss may rub you up the wrong way. Your kids may disobey you. Your friends may betray you. And even at times, your church may fail you. There will be at times when you will be right and everyone else will be wrong. There'll be times when someone on the road makes a stupid mistake or someone at home loses your house keys, or doesn't do something that they've promised, or messes up in a multitude of other ways, or maybe someone wrongs you in a major and a painful and very significant way. In those moments, the fruit of gentleness is not something that will come naturally to us. Gentleness comes from a life committed to living close to Jesus. We need to pray that as we threw ourselves on God, his spirit would help us as we rest on him. A gentle life offers grace because of the grace that God has given to us. Gentle people have been transformed by the amazing message of God's grace, and they want to show that gentleness to other people. God is gentle with us, gracious to us time and time and time again when we mess up. So let's pray that with his spirit living in us, that we might be like that to others when they mess up too. As I finish this morning, I don't know what picture of God you came to church with today. Perhaps you just arrived here and you didn't really have any picture in your head of God. Perhaps it was a warm, fuzzy one, and all this chat of gentleness has served to reinforce that image. Perhaps it was a very different one, a God of wrath, a God of judgment sitting on his throne far removed from whatever your situation or circumstance is this morning. 
As we finish, let me read to you some words from Revelation chapter 1, 12 to 18. You can look at them in your Bibles if you, if you want to. Revelation 1, 12 to 18. They emphasize God's splendor and his power, but also something else. Let me read them to you. John says these words, speaking of this vision he has had and speaking of Jesus here in verse 12. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet, though dead. We see God in all of his majesty and wonder. It's a terrifying picture in part. I started sharing with you a picture of gentleness between two brothers on a schism team many years ago. And I'm going to finish with a picture of gentleness from Scripture, of a right hand being put on John by Jesus in verse 17. Because after John says, having seen that image, I fell at his feet though dead, this is what he says, speaking of Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I live forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Has anyone ever put their right hand on your shoulder? Often it's to reassure someone in a gentle way, to comfort them, to say, I'm here with you and for you. That's what this majestic, powerful creator God does to each of us this morning. He puts his hand on us and he says, whatever your situation or circumstance, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I was dead and now look, I live forever and ever. Let's pray together.